Um, I wanted to start tonight, as we wrap up kind of uh, right before spring break, I wanted to start tonight by just just acknowledging um, how incredible the human race is. And so I've got a, a small little video here. Um, you may have seen this before. Let's see, can we throw that? Good, there we go. Um, there's no, uh, there's no um, sound. There's music in the background, but we don't have uh, the sound connected. But watch some of these people and what they're able to do with... Uh, with their abilities. Some may call it smart. Some may not. Um, people of all ages. Doing incredible things with their time. Including throwing basketballs off of six story buildings. <laughs> if you go. Uh, yeah this is pretty amazing. Watch what he does here. Right back up. Like a cat. Incredible. This is not Jesus. Um, somehow he's walking on water, though. Uh, they have a number of these on online, and you can uh, check out a bunch of these. But uh, we hear so much about people. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, not too smart, but it worked. Um, People are just taking risks. They're, they're, uh, maybe some may say carpe diem, some may say uh, YOLO, um, but they're doing something. And uh, this girl goes right through the hoop. That's uh, the king. Um, two in a row from all the way uh, in the back of the court. And what I love about our technology of social media today, folks, is that we can now capture all of this. And because there's a billion uh, wannabe photographers out there and videographers, we, uh, we have the ability to do all of this. And for years, I think we've been missing some of this. Unless you were at that event, uh, you might not have seen it. But now, because of... That was not smart, but um, I guess it worked out for him. Uh, this one's pretty cool. He's able to juggle two balls at once for you soccer players. It's, that's a difficult task. Uh, home run right in the basket. This guy is... Um, He's lost his brains. I don't recommend this to anyone. Um, but notice that we will come and watch, though. We'll pay money to watch this. And so... Um, this is going to skip it right into a bucket. Um, we have all kinds of um, things we can do with our time and including dive into lakes. Um, this one again, so I, I saw this, and, and this doesn't look too scary at that point, but when they show from that view, um, he's balancing on two chairs, 10 stories up. We are, uh, we're an amazing race. We really are. Um, and we, we push ourselves to incredible feats. It doesn't look too bad from that angle, but, well, maybe it does. But from this angle, he's just up there. And then he goes again. And so, again, you can find uh, hundreds of these online, um, and they're entertaining to watch. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But we have the ability, well, you made it. Um, I don't recommend that right there. Oh, okay. Um, 
Uh, you know what, can, we, can you put it right back up? I just got to show this little girl here. Um, watch this little, this one, it was my favorite, this little, not this, this little girl uh, riding a tricycle. Watch this, just slides it right in. <laughs> Wasn't that cute? Just slid it right in. It's kind of fun too, it makes the basket. It's incredible. I love that one too. Yeah. Um, so we, you can keep it up actually, because we do some really cool things, but then we also, we have a propensity to do some really foolish things, um, like ride through fire and don't think we're going to get burned. And so they, uh, apparently these guys, these on the BMX, they rode through too slowly and fire just engulfed them. Now, apparently they all had minor injuries and so they all made it. Thanks. Um, you can turn that off, actually. That's my screensaver. Sorry about that. Um, and what I... I guess what I find interesting, guys, about when I, when I look at all those videos, and, and I can get caught up in that. That's kind of my time waster is watching videos like that. Um, because I'm, I'm impressed. I'm jealous. Um, and, and yet, when, it, when I think about the human race and the, even the human body and... And what we're capable of, and we see videos like that, um, I go back to this idea that we are amazing creatures, and we've been created in an amazing way. And God has given us only so many days here to make the most of those days. And as we journey through this book of James, what I'm concluding is it really is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's these little one-liners and these little paragraphs and little sentences that have us evaluating our daily lives. Not, not maybe the grandiose things, but really the day-in and day-out activity that you and I face each and every day. The decisions we make for ourselves and for those around us. And James keeps hammering home this one idea to you and to me over and over and over again. And that is, you and I have a choice. And the question is really, because there's really no middle ground, is what is the behavior for you and me going to look like from the time we came to know Jesus to the time God calls us home? Because I'm convinced that that behavior um, can, can either excel uh, our, our ability to, to prove to others that I am under new ownership, or, or it can excel in people the idea that there's no change in that person and all they're doing is giving lip service james gives us examples in fact he says you know when we looked at chapter one he said what what about your attitude when trials and challenges come your way there is a perfect opportunity there that you have right before you to display some godly characteristics and to handle those trials and challenges with perseverance and humility, all the while, if you need wisdom, to call on God for wisdom. Or we can gripe and complain our way through it. And people will see the difference. He looked at this issue of wealth and he said, you know, if money comes your way, what's your attitude going to be once it does come your way? How are you going to handle and manage the wealth God gives you? We looked at in chapters, well, back half of one, we looked at when I get angry and I have an opportunity to get angry. Will I? And will I go with the flow and just call it a day because everyone else does it and so I can do it too? Or will I handle that situation maybe somehow different so that, again, those around me note that. They mentally make a note that 
boy, she didn't handle it the way I thought she would. Boy, everyone else did this, but he did this. Uh, We looked at this idea of our fascination with wealthy people. And how we're so inclined and and, uh, our our temptation with the wealthy is just to run to them and to admire them and and almost to, to elevate them. And to live our lives vicariously through them. And James said, the way that you deal with the wealthy is going to rub off on those around you. Are you going to play favorites or not? And he contrasted that, of course, with, well, what about those who aren't wealthy? Do we, do we pay them the attention they deserve? Again, because they're human beings. They're made in the image of God the exact way that you and I were made. They just don't have the bank. They don't have the coin right now in their lives. Do we treat them differently? Uh, and then finally, we looked at this idea of our words. And how do we use our words appropriately? And you can tell stories as I can of times where I wish someone would have said it differently or I wish I would have said it differently because the way it came across was very ungodly. And I would like a a redo. And yet we know that those are are pretty rare to come by. And then last week we really just touched on this and this is where I want to pick it up tonight. We touched on this idea of what, what is life, really, when, it, when I boil this thing down of life, what am I getting out of it? Is it all for me? Do I see life through the filter of what satisfies me and what pleases me, or is it all for others? Now, here's the kicker with all of this as we kind of just touch on James 4 tonight, guys, is I believe that when James was writing the book of James, I think he stumbled upon something In that first century, when he was ministering to Jewish believers, I believe he stumbled upon something that that, that he he continues to make a theme in here. And if he didn't stumble upon this, I'm not even sure we'd have the book of James. And that is simply this. And and Pastor Lynn, I thought, did a phenomenal job with this uh, last Sunday. The behaviors that you and I act out every day We are living the lives of the naive or the fool or the mocker when we think that they only affect us. And I think that James caught that early in the first century. And so he writes a letter to Jewish believers begging them, imploring them, please, please, please. If you you don't get anything, get this. Your actions affect others. And it can go either way. You have this incredible opportunity from the day you came to know Jesus till the day you die to use your words to build people up. And you have opportunities, as I do every day, to use my words to crush people. You and I have opportunities every day, and we have this amazing ability to to surround ourselves with people that we can be agents of encouragement to. We can be a light into their dark world, or we can drag them down into... The, the, the mire and the cesspool of society. We have opportunities like that all the time with our spouses and our kids and our friends and our neighbors. And James comes back once again in chapter 4 and he says, if you want to use your life to show to the, to the unsaved world that this isn't a hoax, 
that, that, that what we're doing here on Tuesday nights and what we're doing on Sunday mornings and what they're doing over in Santan, it isn't just a crutch for the needy. But there is a transformation that has taken place in my life. And I don't need to just say it. You're going to see it. James is writing to you and to me to press us to consider that before God calls us home. That what you and I do over the next few days or few weeks or few years is critical, not just to you. In fact, I would say that you and I come very secondary in this in this um, thing we call life. And those around us, especially, especially, especially those whom we love, come first. I got um, picked, uh, I think I mentioned last week, I, I got selected to be on this long-term trial downtown Phoenix and it just started today. And we can't go into the case, but suffice it to say, this is a case of one person claiming one thing and another person denying it. And it's, it's, it's criminal, and so it's not civil, and so there are prison terms involved with this particular case. And all it comes down to is exactly what we're talking about here. The choices that someone made, allegedly, can affect someone else. And allegedly has affected someone else. And depending on how this box of human beings that gather together now, all 12 of us, and sit here and listen to the deliberation, or to, the, to the witnesses and to the prosecutor and the defense, we now have an opportunity to say guilty or not guilty on, on the next several years of someone's life. And while it's fascinating and I'm, I'm enthralled with the whole judicial process, I can't tell you this morning as they were doing opening comments how weighty just their words felt as I, as I looked at the defendant and I just thought, your life is in our hands right now. And it didn't need to be that way. If one of you, someone's not telling the truth here, right? You both can't be right. So someone's lying. And you both swore under oath that you weren't. So one of you is willing to, or both of you are willing to go the distance. You're going to go to the mat lying just so you can put pain in that other person's life. And it doesn't need to be that way. And guys, I would covet your prayers because I can't even imagine living with the idea that, that we would convict someone and put them away for years and years and years and they didn't do it. That's what they're up against. All because, ah, boy, I need a Kleenex or something, Mike. I apologize. Tell Lynn to bring a mop on Sunday. Um, thank you. All because we're simply not doing what the scriptures tell us to do. Which is to consider others before ourselves. Listen to this quote. I don't know if you have the PowerPoint up. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. I thought this was pretty brilliant. Thank you so much. Lewis says this. He says, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal. And their life to ours as the life of a gnat is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. 
immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament, the body and blood of Christ itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. I like that. I like how Lewis elevates mankind and says, your neighbor, the one that we're so tempted to just get all over because, and then we'll fill in the blank, is the holiest object next to Christ himself that we will face in this lifetime. Do we view each other like that? I wonder. I wonder in the decisions that you and I make if we view each other like that. And I set all of that up, guys, because this is the path we're on, I think. Um, Here's this. Let me just do this over here. I think the path we're on and the way I need to view my neighbor and the way I need to view my spouse and my kids is in God's image. Rather than this, this scumbag or this, this brutal person or this liar or this cheat or this person I just can't stand. Or the, the girl that rang my bill up wrong or the kid that forgot to put the fries in my to-go bag and now i got to go back and get more. And this person that's on trial. Can I view them simply like this? And, and let me see if I can just draw this out for you. Um, of course, it starts here, right? Genesis one twenty six. We're made in whose image? Okay, so we've got now the image of God in us. Mago Dei. Um, okay, so God said, "Let's go, come together and make man in our image." And so that's what God did. And uh, and we don't we don't follow kind of the our, our latter day saint path of we're physically made in God's image. God is not an exalted man. But rather we believe that we, we share some of the attributes that God himself has. We call those the communicable attributes. Those that God shares with us. Things that God doesn't share with us would be the incommunicable attributes. These are the ones he shares with us. So being made in his image, every human being has the ability to be truthful. Has the ability to love. Has the ability to display grace and forgiveness and mercy. Has the ability to have peace. Why? Because they all come from God himself. So way back when, when God set this whole thing up, he said, let us, and I believe that's the Trinity talking, he said, let us make man in our image. Not to mention, if not maybe one of the more important, is this idea, this need for community and to be in relationship with each other as the Trinity is. Okay? We have now then the fall of man and Genesis 3 comes along and God says um, there is going to be consequences now to your sin. Not to mention one of them being that the image now is going to be marred. Uh, Genesis 9, 6 though tells us that while the image in me and you is marred, it's still there. So even though now you and I will forever be and our kids and our grandkids will forever be born into sin. We still retain an image, albeit tarnished or marred, of God. We still have the ability to be peaceful and loving and gracious and merciful. Okay, tracking with me? Okay, so then, then God said in his redemptive plan that there is going to be a cross now and Jesus is going to redeem us. And he's going to forgive us of our sins and reconcile us back to God. And while he does that then, those who come to know Jesus, 
according to Colossians 3.10, you have, and I have the ability to put on a new self. So you and I now can spend the time we came to know Jesus till the time we go to glory, putting on this new self, and we're going to be renewed to a true knowledge in the image of the one who sent, who saved us. So track the process here. The image here was unmarred, right? Untarnished. It now gets tarnished. God now is making a plan that you and I are involved with to bring us eventually then to glorification, which is right here in 1 John 3, 2, which says, and this will ultimately end in glorification. We know that, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And so we have now, back to this image of God, this image now will be completely restored. And so it's this beautiful plan right here of pure image, marred image, being renewed, finally renewed. And it's in this little section here, I think I have a different color. It's in this little section that I want to deal with tonight. And that is right here. And we call that the sanctification process. Because guys, this is, you know, if you write out the time you came to know Jesus till the time you pass on and put a little dash. I came to know Jesus in 1990 and I'm going to die in 2050. That dash right there, we're going to call that the sanctification process. And the sanctification process for you and for me as Christians is when God is going to set us apart. And that's really what the word means is that God is setting you apart. He's going to spend now a week, a year, 10 years, however long he gives you till glory, setting you apart. Which begs the question, setting me apart from what? And so now we turn to... uh, to the Bible this evening, and I want to start actually in the book of John. And so actually go to 1 John. So let's go to 1 John in the back of our Bibles and look at 1 John. Let's look at chapter 2 here. God is now about the business in your life, if you know him personally, he's now about the business of setting you apart. And we're going to discover what, God, what are you setting me apart from? Okay, this is our sanctification process, all for the sake of getting you and I to glorification. Look at 1 John chapter 2, and let's pick it up in verse 12. John says this in verse 12 of chapter 2. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And, And that's a great way, and I want to start that way. As we launch into this little discussion here on sin, guys, you need to know that if you know Jesus tonight, your sins are forgiven. And so we're not talking about the judicial side of your salvation. That has been done and paid for at the cross. Praise God that you and I need not worry about that. I calculated, I I just did some math this morning on how how much sin is in the room tonight. And I gave you guys the benefit of the doubt. And I said that if you average a believer's 
time, uh, time you came to know Jesus till you died, we'll give you 50 years to do that. Some less, some more. But let's say that the average person in here is going to have 50 years as a Christian and you sin 25 times a day. Now, again, I define sin and I'll, um, in fact, if we have this definition up here, um, sin, I took it from uh, Millard, um, yeah, Millard Erickson's Christian theology. Sin is any lack of conformity active or passive to the moral law of God. This may be a matter of act, of thought, or of inner disposition or state. In the, in the Greek, it's hamartia. It just simply means to miss the mark, to miss the mark of God's character. But if we use Erickson's definition here, he's saying that's any lack of conformity, active or passive, uh, sins of omission or commission. So in other words, um, Paul says in Romans 7, you know, I do the things I hate and I don't do the things I should do. So that I don't do the things I should do would be sins of omission. And the things I do that I don't want to do would be sins of commission. Okay, so, so Erickson's kind of agreeing with that. Active or passive to the moral law of God. Now, with that definition, I gave each of you 25 sins a day. And, and am I lowballing that? This should it be... You guys are good people. Um, 25 sins a day, that puts each one of you at about 490,000 sins in the next 50 years. Half, let's round it up. Okay, so we're each going to sin a half a million times over the next 50 years. Or from, you know, for the next time we're a believer. Now again, if there's a couple hundred people in the room, that puts us at about 100, about 95, yeah, 95 million sins. So we're looking at a couple hundred people in this room. And Jesus, guys, when, when John says your sins are forgiven... Please don't underestimate the weight of that verse in terms of quantity. Jesus' death was horrific, not just because it was physical torture, more so than any of us could ever bear. But I believe it was horrific because of the weight of all of the sins that he had to die for. And in this room alone, we would average maybe a hundred million of those. And that's a couple hundred people. Jesus, praise God, says, if you know me, you need to know this. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So we start with that. And then we, and then we continue where John says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I, am, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Now, here, now here's the admonition then. Don't love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... And the boastful pride of life isn't from the Father, but it's from the world. And then John says, in the world's passing away. And also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God, he or she will abide forever. So what I wanted to start with tonight is just by asking this question, I guess, um, What's an example? Let's talk about this idea of loving the world 
In fact, just go over, we'll, we'll jump over here. Go to James real quick. Go to James 4. I'll show you the parallel. Uh, James chapter 4, just go back a couple books. Um, we'll, we'll pick it up <coughs> in one, but, but just drop down to 4 real quick. Just to draw the um, parallel between James and John. James chapter 4, verse 4. And really this is the thesis of these, these next few verses. But James says, you adulteresses. And which, by, by the way, he uses that term because, again, he's speaking to Jewish believers. And you'll remember throughout the Old Testament that, the, that Israel was considered the, the bride of God. And God, uh, more than once, considered Israel a harlot, a prostitute, an adulterer, in terms of putting other gods before him. So when James says this to the uh, Jewish believers, they pick up on that right away. They know exactly what he's talking about. And the, the, the weight of the word he's, he chooses, chooses to use here. He says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So let's just, let's just be practical here. Because if we can't get it out of 35,000 feet and down into our lives, then, then it's just an exercise in intellect tonight. What does it mean in your life? What, what does it mean in your opinion? Let's get it off of you. To be a friend of the world. What does it mean? Give me some, just raise your hand. Give us some examples of what you would consider to be worldly activity for a Christian. Okay, so keeping up with the Joneses would be worldly activity for a Christian. Meaning, um, meaning uh, jealousies in there, um, possibly some debt. Okay. Just from a little different perspective, um, as far as loving the world, this is God's creation. And there's many beauty, beautiful things that God created in this world. So, I mean... Yeah, let me, go, let me just put a time out right there. Because oh, okay. what he's talking about here in both passages is a great point. He's not talking about the physical creation. Okay. And so the word here is cosmos. And what he's talking about here is the, the, um, the behavioral elements that we live in here. And so, again, when we, like when we use John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... We're not talking about the physical environment there. It's okay? Okay God didn't to, give his son to save trees. It's okay to love and enjoy the mountains and the rainbows and the waterfalls and the oceans, etc. Et right, yeah. We're, so that's so that, God's creation. Yeah, okay. so that, that's not what we're talking about okay. here. So, so, yeah, please be a friend of the world. Yes, go green. But, but, um, but when he says then, when James says... Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? And then John says, um, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, that is of the world. What are some day in and day out activities that you would say equate to that in terms of a Christian engaging in worldly activities? We have keeping up with the Joneses. Is that it? Is that the only worldly activity that we should avoid? Being concerned with celebrities and... I'm sorry. Being concerned with celebrities and all their okay. going on. Okay, so, yeah. How many how many dresses can we look at from Sunday night? And um, how much do they cost? And, yeah. Okay. Uh, envy and jealousy. Okay, envy and jealousy. We definitely talked about that last week. And so, being a friend of the world would be living in, in, in a realm of envy and jealousy with people. Okay. 
What else? What does it mean to be a friend of the world? Lust. Any more specific than that? Prostitution. Okay. Sound like two different voices there, but we'll marry those two. Okay. Lust and the the possibility of engaging with or uh, um, being a prostitute or engaging in prostitution with someone. Okay. I th- the love of money. Absolutely. Going to a strip show would be something that would uh, be... Okay, going to a strip show. Thank you for being very specific. I appreciate that. I really do. Going to a strip show. Okay? All right, let me... Oh, go ahead. Horoscopes. I'm sorry? Horoscopes. Horoscopes. Tarot cards. Palm reading. I taught my students the other day how to read palms. So send your kids to my school. Um... We were talking about New Age, the world religion, and, um, and you can go online, and it, it really is, it's comical. Um, and the reason it is, guys, is because there's different versions of, of he- so no one's got the, 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 the corner on, you know, this is accurate, but it, you got a love line, and a work line, and a, a lifeline, and depending on the length of the creases in your hand. So, so anyway, I'm going through this with my students. These are, these are 18-year-old kids. Well, these were actually my juniors. So these are 16-year-old kids. And, and so I'm going through this. And guys, I got to tell you something. They were tracking me like, like they believed it. And I, I told them, I'm just reading it. I don't, I don't know how to read hands. I'm just reading this, what the instructions off the internet told me. But how, how gullible we are. How much we want to believe. When I said something, like if you have a long, if you have a long line right here, that means that you'll have a healthy love life. I could hear the gasps, the 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 sighs of relief that I'm going to be okay now. <laughs> and I just thought, real, that's what you're basing this on is because your your hand folds a certain way. So yeah, okay, friend of the world, okay. Anything else? So maybe not directly on point, but. A friend had a devotional reading where she pointed out that when we enter into prayer and we can't concentrate on prayer and our worldly issues keep intruding upon that, that we're paying too much attention to the world and can't focus and love on God. Absolutely. That is certainly one of the consequences when we invest our time in focusing on the world. We only have so much time in the day. And so we can't focus on God. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm trying to get at though, if both James and John tell me to avoid the world, the world's passing away, and with it, it's lusts, and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, the eyes, the boastful pride of life. James says, uh, if you're friendship with the world, you are an enemy to God. I just need to know then, James, John, Peter, Paul, Mary, somebody help me in terms of, well, what activities do I currently have in my life right now that could be considered by some World friendly. Hang out with drunkards. Gambling. Gambling. Ooh. That's a good one. Gambling like I got to go to a casino? What about online? What about buying a lottery ticket? Wow. I, I should do a show of hands. I should do a show of hands and cause what James 
says in verse 1 of 4, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? We couldn't agree on gambling. Anything else? I feel that engaging in and whatever your next fix is going to be as far as uh, what's going on in the world and having to be there to, to see something in person, everything is is fine for our attention. Yep. And I think that those things people look to fill themselves up as being part of the world, which is, of course, Satan's great little plan. That's his deal. I I agree. Uh, and again, that kind of echoes what that gentleman was saying. You, we only have so much time. It's how we spend our time. Someone mentioned TV. Um, I mean, really, do we have, what, are there 10 shows maybe out there that aren't world-friendly? Maybe. Um, but I'll say this. Um, see if I have it here. Remember uh, Gilligan's Island? Um, look at this. They, somebody once said that all of these people portray the seven deadly sins. And then it was a show based on the seven deadly sins. See, you thought you were just watching comedy. So the question is, what was Gilligan, right? What was Gilligan? We can't see it on the screen. Oh, I didn't put him up there, I don't think. See, now again, seven deadly sins are that Pope Gregory back in the, I don't know, what does it say, the uh, sixth century, came up with a list of sins that he felt that were the seven deadly sins. And, and this isn't a knock on Catholicism. This is where it came from. Anyway, as I was researching this, um, the seven deadly sins, someone said you can make Gilgan's Island out because they all portray at least one of them, if not several of them. But who was the one who kept screwing up at the end of every show that wouldn't let him get off the island? See, the fool was actually the deceiver. And could it have been that Gilligan represented Satan? I just probably ruined your night, didn't I? Look, you can even buy bracelets of the seven deadly sins. Yeah, that was neither here nor there. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I believe that the palm reading is a consequence of this, but how about drugs? Absolutely. In fact, I met with a judge, um, a buddy of mine is a judge, and he's doing, he's working down in, I think he's at Buckeye, the Buckeye uh, court. And so I said to him, he's been a lawyer for a number of years, and now he's a judge, and I said, um, your opinion now that you've seen case after case after case, what is, what is the problem with our society? Um, he said two things. He said gangs and drugs. And he said, he said this, he said, I'll be honest with you, Greg, um, you, if you were to ask me this six, five, six years ago, I would have fought very, very hard and probably eloquently that those weren't the two biggest problems we face in terms of the uh, crimes in, in Maricopa County. And he said, now that I've seen it day in and day out, and I've seen the horror of it, and I've seen the ramifications of it, I say two things. I say gangs and drugs. So I, I agree. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think uh, one sin that is overlooked is uh, fear that uh, in the world you have a fear of, you know, the end of the world or uh, that God won't provide. And so I think when you have when you start fearing that that's yeah. 
kind of a worldly. That's great. Absolutely. Too. In fact, what does Paul say in Philippians 4? Be anxious for nothing. Why, why do you fear? Why are you riddled with anxiety? But in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. So that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I mean, that, it's a worldly thing. Tattoos? Worldly? Is that too dangerous? Is it, would that get some staff here in trouble if I said that? Um, let me just pull up. I don't know if you have this. This is what I was going to show you last week. Um, but if you don't think pornography is an issue, guys, every second... These are 2006 stats. Every second, $3,000 being spent on pornography. That's every second. Um, here are the revenues. And I wanted to point this out. Uh, let's go to here. Again, if you typed in the keyword porn in the U.S., we're number four. That's for typing in the keyword porn. Chandler, Arizona, we're fourth. If you type in the word triple X, which is a kind of a code for porn movies, we're number seven. Four and seven for typing in porn or triple X. So again, you know, what does that say? Lust of the, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Um, if you struggle with pornography, and by the way, this is a, uh, look at this stat, I, where is it, um, uh, 4.2, 12% of total websites are pornographic, 420 million pornographic pages on the internet, um, average age of first internet exposure to porn, 11, 8 to 16 year olds having viewed porn online, porn online, 90%. 80% of 15 to 17-year-olds having multiple hardcore exposures. Um, men admitting to accessing porn at work, 20%. Promise Keeper, remember Promise Keeper back in the day? Promise Keeper men who viewed porn last week, 53%. Christians who said porn is a major problem in their home, 47%. That's almost half, guys. Christians who said porn is a major problem, underscore major, in the home, that's 47%. If you, don't, if you think we're talking theory up here, if you think we're talking about just, well, friend of the world, I'm not a friend of the world. I don't go out, I don't go on a bender. I don't, I don't go down a talking stick and gamble my money away. I don't. Okay, well, is this an issue then? Is jealousy an issue? Is gossip, is anger an issue? You've got, guys, what we have to understand is you've got to find the thing that, that is your issue. Satan, what does 1 Peter 5 say about Satan? Satan is like a, 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 a roaring lion that prowls around ready to devour you. He hates you. He hates you with everything he's got inside of him to hate you. And he won't go with the thing that does it that's not your Achilles heel. Whatever it is that you struggle with, and maybe the person sitting next to you, could you, that doesn't matter to them. But it matters to you. That's what he will go after time and time and time. And he will not stop until, you, until your last breath. That's how much he hates you. Because he's recognized 
in our society today, when we say friend of the world, you have to understand that the destruction that follows that path is massive. And so, so maybe porn's your thing. Um, then if that's the case, I would argue that you're very, very close to um, befriending, if not already befriending the world. However you've justified it. Because what I love about James and John here is they're not justifying it. And for as much as we may chafe at that, um, I appreciate their honesty because they're not justifying it. They're saying, this is the reality, this is your life, and you've got a choice to make. God is in the process of sanctifying you. But in, in the sanctification process, we have choices. Uh, yeah. Uh, A.W. Tozier posits that um, the purpose of man was to, is to worship. And in one of his... Uh, books, he writes about the time in the garden with Adam, visiting with God daily for the intent of worshiping. But after the fall, his eyes were dimmed, and he had to leave the garden. But he took the need to worship with him. That was one of the things that remained. And so now, as a worldly man, he can make a choice to worship God or anything else that he chooses. Hmm. And great. I think yeah. that fits together with Absolutely. what you've written here. Absolutely, it does. In fact, and, and before we get any further here, we only have a few minutes left, um, I wrote some stuff up here because, because here's the deal, guys, and, and really this is my heart. Um, I've been a believer for 25 years now. And please hear my heart. Um, this is one sinner talking to another sinner about, for some of us, it's time. It's time to start distancing ourselves from the world. And while that may be unpopular, that may be intolerant, that may be um, unfavorable, that may not win you points with neighbors or even family members or loved ones, it's time. Um, You cannot serve two masters. So whatever it is that, that, and, and again, what Pastor Lynn is speaking on Sundays is so appropriate for what we're talking about. Some of us have been living for quite, quite a few months or years on being naive or foolish or a mocker. And really what we're doing is we're just covering up the reality, which is God is wanting me to step into more of a relationship with him by way of separating myself from the things that are worldly. And while I mention some things and we all mention some things... Let me just, I guess, suggest that what we're talking about, if you, if, you know, tattoos and gambling and drinking and dancing and that, you know, that's a preference issue in, in, in many regards, in my opinion. You're not to cause anyone to stumble, certainly out of Romans 14. But a lot of those things, we, we get caught up in the church, you know, she's doing this and he's wearing this and she's drinking this and... But rather, what does James focus on? I think what James focus on, focuses on ultimately is the world wants life to be about you. So it's self-fulfillment and self-advancement and self-service and self-indulgence. It's hedonism. In fact, if you look back at James, James says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source your pleasures 
that wage war in your members. The word for pleasures there is, is hedonism. It's, it's, it's hedone, which is where we get the word hedonism from. In other words, what James is arguing here is, is not the source of the conflict, the stuff that's inside of us that makes life all about me. So if you want to get out of the gray areas, well, what's being world-friendly? I think you can confidently say one of the things that's being world-friendly is when life becomes about me. I know then I have, I have my BFF is the world now if life is about me. And James is saying, for some of us in here, we got to start do, we got to make more of an attempt to do this. Um. Now, so the question is then, well, why do we sin so much? Because here's the reality. I don't know if you have a PowerPoint on this. Um, but the results of sin are this. Um, oh, you had it there. We lose it. There we go. The results of sin is that you're, you're spiritually dead. Um, you are under God's wrath. Uh, you are followers of Satan and there is eternal punishment. Now, that is the result of sin before you come to know Jesus. So please, please, this is not um, now. If you know Jesus, this is what God brought you out of. So everyone who doesn't know Jesus, I would argue at least these four things are true of them right now. They are an enemy of God. They are under his wrath. The results of their sin will not only impact them negatively and their loved ones, but the end result will be eternal punishment. And so that's how you and I started when we came to know Jesus. We walked into a relationship with Jesus with that hanging over our heads. And God said, I've reconciled you now. I've redeemed you now to be one of my children. But again, we have a marred image. And so this sin nature that is in each of us, battles with the Spirit on a daily basis. And this is why. Um, I drew this little picture here of this person. Uh, I can't see him right now. But these are the five. This is, this is uh, you know, I learned this in, in seminary. And so Dr. Steve Tracy up at Phoenix Seminary, he can take credit for this. He says that man is made up of five components, really. Um, you've got the soul, which is here. Uh, and the soul, uh, if you can't see that, it's, Im- it's immaterial. The soul is created by God. Uh, the soul is what's going to exist after death. The soul is often referred to as the whole person in the scriptures. And so part of our makeup is the soul. That's what, that's what carries on when you and I depart. Paul says, um, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'd much rather depart and be with Christ right now. He's talking about his soul leaving and being with Christ. Okay? Over here then, we have pneuma, we've got our spirit. Okay, so our soul and our spirit, and this says uh, it's not a, you, you're not a spirit, but you have a spirit. And then sometimes in Scripture, in Isaiah and other places, it's parallel or synonymous with soul. And so some people would put these together. Uh, for for our purposes tonight, I've separated them. Then you've got the mind up here. The mind uh, can comprehend and perceive. The mind is a fascinating thing because Paul says that the unsaved mind is depraved. Paul says that the, the mind that is unsaved is condemned and depraved and that the whole sanctification process, this whole process here is based on the renewing of your what? The renewing of your mind. 
Do not be conformed to the, to the things of this world, but be transformed, Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the renewing of your mind. So if you're struggling with sin, it's because your mind is still being renewed right now. And you play a part in that in terms of what you put into your mind. How can my mind continually be transformed if I'm continually being world friendly with the things I put into my mind? So we have we have this person here. And this is then the heart. Cardia is the Greek. The heart is is a fascinating thing, according to Scripture, because it's the inner core. Uh, The heart is where sin is committed. Sin's committed from your heart, and yet forgiveness comes from your heart. And we're to love God with all of our heart. Well, that's hard. If this is the seat of sin, and yet I'm supposed to forgive someone from here, and I'm supposed to love God with all of this, how do I do that, again, if I'm world-friendly and there's constant wickedness and evil that's springing up from my heart. What is Jeremiah? Jeremiah, did you ever read Jeremiah, was it 17? Uh, 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And yet, that's where you can look at someone and say, I forgive you. That's where you can stand here an hour ago and say, God, I praise you. I worship you with all of my heart. That's fascinating. Uh, comment here. and then. Yes, I got one. Uh, this kind of reminds me of Ezekiel when, the king, when God is speaking about the king of Tyre and all the merchandise and all the coveting of the things of the world. And this feels like, and right here, if I look at chapter 28 and verse 16, it says... By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. And if you go on and read much of what is said there, it's saying how the devil, the king of Tyre, is offering people merchandise, things of the world. They're coveting every little thing that they can into their lives and into their hearts. Yeah. And it's causing them to sin. Perfect. And 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 can I just add that? Do you know... Do you know why when I say world-friendly is all about self? Because who is the prince of the power of this air? Satan. And guys, what is synonymous with Satan? Self. Pride. And so it, it shouldn't confuse us to think that Satan knows that if he can make life about us, he's one. And look around you. How easy is it to make life about me? We have the flesh here, sarks in the Greek. Um, it can refer to either the physical human body, your physical flesh, or it can refer to that sinful element of behavior that is opposed to the spirit. The flesh battles the spirit, the deeds of the flesh, not physical body, but the deeds of that element of behavior that battles the spirit. So you've got at least, take out soul and take out spirit, you've got at least three things here, guys, that's inside of you that you have to you have to constantly be um, working at your flesh 
your heart and your mind. And while the flesh will go do its thing, and while the flesh will grab at us constantly to satisfy our fleshly desires so that these members in our body will rise up and wage war against the godly things of life, we have opportunities every day from the time we came to know Jesus till the time we die to resist that. You have opportunities every day, as I do, to do things that will take your heart from a place of wickedness and evil by the way of whatever you're hearing around you. Um, I got in the car today coming home and I turned on the radio and some song was on about some body part. And I, so it wasn't K-Love or Air One or whatever, um, but it was some body part. And I just, and I, I've got those, I've got a LED or whatever, so it shows the title. And the, the first word was booty something. And I thought, okay, I got an option here. Like, I'm not going to hell because my car stereo says booty something on it, right? I'm not. But, but is this, is, it, is my mind being renewed right now? Conversely, this morning, I'm, I'm coming home from whatever, and, um, and I'm on Air One. And, they, you know, the story of the day or whatever. Did you hear about this teenager walks 10 miles to go get a job? At a fast food restaurant. This teenager walks 10 miles to go apply for this job at this fast food restaurant. Because it's the only job he, he can get. Halfway through, the owner of some other restaurant sees this kid out in the... It's in the mid Indianapolis. Freezing cold, in the snow. This kid is walking basically from like power to Alma school. Just to go work at a fast food restaurant. Doesn't even know if he's going to get the job. So the, so the owner steps out and says, "What well, you know... Shrug up a conversation, finds out this kid isn't a thug. He's not, you know, in a gang. He's just trying to, he's trying hard to get, to make something of himself. And the owner said, if you don't get that job, come talk to me. The next day, the kid came and talked to the owner, said, I didn't get the job. And the owner said, I'll give you, I'll give you a job at my restaurant and I'll pay you twice what they were going to pay you. Not only that, but the Indianapolis bus transit heard about this story. The kid now has a free bus pass for a year to get back and forth to work. Praise God. So I was listening to that. And guys, right in front of me, these things were being transformed. I was being encouraged. My heart was full. My heart was joyful. I thought, God, there's hope. There's hope for the next generation. There's hope for us. And so, so kind of got to wrap it up here. But guys, we have a choice to make. And I'm going to argue this over the next three weeks. James is going to give us an idea of how to do this well. But tonight I just wanted to lay out before you the choice. And really, uh, for some of us, just an acknowledgement that God, truth be told, and I'm not going to share this with the person next to me, there are some things in my life that are very world friendly. And, and I don't have to prove it to anyone. And I don't need to sell anyone on it. Maybe some people know, maybe no one knows. But God, you know, and I know, and I've been dabbling in this way, way too long. Maybe it's my mouth, maybe it's my mind, maybe it's my heart, maybe it's my flesh, maybe it's my lust. But I know what it is, God. And based on what your word says about if I'm a friend of this, God, you're saying I'm an enemy of you. I don't want to be an enemy of you. So I'm going to make some changes, God. I'm going to pray my face off over the next few weeks until we come back again to figure out how I can do this, how I can battle this well. 
Let me just put up this last slide. We'll call it a night. Francis Chan says, Jesus called, Jesus' call to commitment is clear. He wants all or nothing. The thought of a person calling himself or herself a Christian without being a devoted follower of Christ is absurd. Guys, it's time that we let our light shine. It doesn't have to be a full-time missionary. Simply needs to be getting up each day and saying, God, you are sanctifying my life, meaning you're setting me apart and it's showing up now in the choices I make. Every day it's showing up. And God, if my number should be called tomorrow, people will know me as a very imperfect human being, but one that was different. And it's all because I'm coming home to glory, God. And I'm being transformed every day. And we'll give God praise. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we give you praise that you have not left us in this state of sin. Oh, God, what a, what a terrible, horrible life that would be. If all we had was our own abilities. Father, your word clearly says uh, for those that are left in that state, you've handed them over. Father, to the, uh, to the wickedness of their heart and their actions will soon follow and, and what a wake of destruction they leave behind in their path. And so, God, we praise you tonight that if we know you personally, we have this wonderful opportunity, even tonight, to not only sing praises to you, Father, but to love on others. To not only uh, worship you, Father, but to serve others. To not only sing uh, or call out your name, God, and learn in your word about life and us. But God, we have, a, we have a chance even tonight to apply that. So maybe God, I don't know, maybe there's a couple in here that they're just kind of fighting tonight. And they could do some reconciliation. God, maybe there's someone that they're not, they're not doing well with a friend and and they could make a call or shoot an email over tonight. Maybe there's someone that their kid is just, this is not happening. There's some strife there and there's some, there's some distance and maybe some forgiveness can be given. Why wait? Why, why wait to, to think that tomorrow will be any different? But God, we need your help. Uh, your word clearly says that we can resist the devil. We can stand firm and resist the devil. And God, I, I pray between now and the next time we meet, that you would give us many, many stories in this room of how we did that. God, I cannot wait for heaven to hear story upon story of how uh, you worked in the lives of those around me um, and that I was the beneficiary of them choosing to be separated from this world. So God, we pray that for all of us in the room tonight. Give us a safe ride home in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you uh, in three weeks.